sat in front of the telly with my brother and just along with a massive slice of homes in Britain I entered this house in Fox Hill Drive. Michael Parkinson he introduced Ghostwatch really flatly. This was a live in-studio event and it was said that the point of the show was to prove that and I quote for the first time that ghosts irrefutably exist. Then we hop into its own title music sequence it feels like Halloween filler junk TV from the 80s. Now, my guest Stephen Hill and myself today, we do mention some of those clever nuances that help sell the premise. And a great one for me, I don't think that we mentioned, is that when the show hands over to the phone lines, Parky sells it so well. He just looks vapidly at the screen as if to say, what am I doing here? It perfectly sells that live calls with the public angle as it's something that we'd all seen before. Programs like Crime Watch, Charity Telephones, it was happening all the time. Now this one is based on the Enfield Poltergeist, just like The Conjuring 2. Uh, and that's a film that we covered a few months back on the 2016 Big Hitter. And at the 70 minute mark, on-site host Sarah Green, she picks up the ante. She seems panicked. Kids' faces start to get scratched. There's some equipment that malfunctions. Photos fall off the wall. There is a kid in this called Susie, and she starts speaking in this deep voice. We can hear cats crying, uh, and there is this glory hole under the stairs. There's noises coming from there. Was that kid screaming? The transmission then cuts, and when we come back to it a couple of minutes later, everything seems okay. So we cut to Craig Charles, but you can still hear Michael Parkinson wondering what the hell is going on in the studio. Again, with live TV, at the time, these mistakes were commonplace. A social worker then calls up and gives Pipes this backstory. So it's starting to come together in the studio, but more importantly, things are starting to come together in the audience's head. For me, I was starting to doubt myself. I didn't believe this for a minute. And now I completely believe it. And then I don't believe it. It would seem that they've created some sort of seance that's just going through everyone's telly. At this point, the studio starts going mental. Michael Parkinson himself starts speaking in a scary voice. But the sound levels are fucked. So we don't really know what's going on there. And it cuts to black. First thing the titles say is written by Stephen Volk. Ah, phew. It was just all pretend. But hang on, what about that? Hang on, what about that? Was it? On Saturday night, we'll be visiting the most haunted house in Britain. But will the ghosts be there? Can you take it? Ghostwatch, a Screen One special for Halloween, Saturday at 9.25 on One. Here is that letterbox synopsis. For Halloween 1992, 
the BBC decides to broadcast an investigation into the supernatural, hosted by TV chat show legend Michael Parkinson. Parky, assisted by Mike Smith, Sarah Green and Craig Charles, and a camera crew attempt to discover the truth behind the most haunted house in Britain. This groundbreaking live television experiment does not go as planned, however. Right, around a year ago I was chatting with Metal Hammer journalist and host of the Riot Act podcast and Broken Records podcast, a fella called Stephen Hill. You may remember him from a year in horror when we discussed the Michael Jackson thriller together. Also, I think I have to mention at this point, if you are not aware, Broken Records podcast is incredible. You've got to type it into your device and you've got to have a listen. It's my very favourite podcast out there. What they do is they pick an album out of the hat for each episode and the next time around they do a deep dive on that very album they picked out the time before. And that album is considered in popular culture to be a really bad one. One of the worst albums ever. A truly broken record. And this podcast, I just think it's the most fun. And as a little bonus, during this Zoom chat, I actually saw the hat. The hat. Hashtag blessed. Anyway, in that conversation, he mentioned if Ghostwatch ever comes up, that he'd love to come on and chat about his experience with it. And well, some 11 months later, 1992 was pulled out of my hat. And here we are. And thankfully, it wasn't an empty gesture. As I said, I think Stephen needed to get this off his chest. I'd probably also recommend some counselling somewhere down the line, as clearly this thing absolutely fucking traumatised him. Just like it did with so many others at the time. So, here it is. Stephen Hill and myself conversing on the occult, chatting about the chiller, talking all things terrifying. This is Ghost Watch. Suzanne must still be in the bedroom. But where? There's a blind spot camera range, right in the corner of the room. Can we cut to the hall camera? No, sorry. Sorry, the landing camera. No, the, the landing on the door. The other landing. That's it. And zoom in. Can we pan? Can we pan left? And down. Stephen, how you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm very good. I'm I'm scared to talk about what we're going to talk about. I'm legitimately scared. We we will get to it, but mm. I've got to, I'm going to interrupt. I've got to just break in. I mm -hmm. did some research of my own last night about just the period that we're going to cover. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you about your history of horror movies first of all, but I want to put everyone listening into the mindset of mm -hmm. where where we were. So. I've got a diary, which is quite personal and really embarrassing to read. But at the bottom, I've also got all the records I bought, all the times I've been to the cinema and things like that. I just want to let you know, get you into this mindset, okay? Mm -hmm. So this month, I bought R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People. Great album. What an album. What an album. I bought Madonna's Erotica. I see. Bam. Oh, Always. yeah, like Madonna's great, clearly, yeah. Um, Jesus Lizard Liar. Took a punt on that. Mm -hmm. Worked out. Mm -hmm. 
Beat Happening, You Turn Me On. Bought that. Oh, I don't know what that is. Oh, Calvin Johnson, K Records, like really underground. You know, Kurt Cobain's K Tattoo. Yeah. This is the guy that runs uh, okay. K Records. I didn't know. So I'm not aware thing. of that record. Creator, Renewal. Oh, yeah. Bought that. Yeah. Oh, my word. I love that. They're the only one of the thrash lot that didn't go uh, sort of grunge. They went industrial instead. Mm. So, yeah, I love that one. Um, and M- Mud Honey, Piece of Cake. So I bought that that month. Nice. I, I hadn't even heard of them, but Offspring did Ignition as well. Same month that this film came out. Love. Hadn't heard of them. Love Ignition. Over in the States, right? This is in my diary. Yeah. Like, what is Reservoir Dogs? Because it was making tons of noise over there. We didn't get mm-hmm. it for almost a year. Later. No, I got that on Pirate. I had to watch it on Pirate VH- oh, VHS. And also Candyman, uh, same thing. Mm-hmm. Was making noise over there, but we didn't yeah. get it here. The, what I watched at the cinema, my one film, Beauty and the Beast. Did you watch Beauty and the Beast? Oh, you know, I've never seen that. I was going to take a guess at what you watched. My <laughs> guess would have been Super Mario Brothers with Bob Hoskins <laughs> and John Legasmo and Dennis Hopper, uh, obviously. Um, but no, I mean, I, I'm not even close, am I really? <laughs> but yeah, what a weird sort of time. Now that will put you into the, the sphere of what we were going to talk about. But before we get there, Stephen Hill, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're particularly into horror. Every now and again, you've mentioned American Psycho. Um, <laughs> what is your history with horror? <laughs> uh, I really... Um, I love horror films. I had Shudder for a little bit. So I love Sweet. them, but there's something that it's not... It's not a, an obsession of mine. Horror films are not an obsession of mine, but there's something that occasionally I get obsessed by something within that genre. So I, my dad being the kind of thoughtful person that he is rather than the, he's, he's a sort of, he's a, a what's a right side of the brain thinker rather than, he's not very emotionally, he's not very kind of emotionally stable, but that's what makes him sound better. He's not very kind of, <laughs> he's not very emotionally open, but he is very kind of um, pragmatic. And he, when I was, I think I was four or five, he went, let's watch a American uh, Werewolf in London because you'll be really impressed by the effects. Because I obviously liked, oh, look at the, the droids in Star Wars. And my dad went, you'll like the effects without thinking that it would be sort of quite traumatizing for a five-year-old. And he was like, well, no, 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 I'm not, you need to look at the effects and appreciate the, the sort of cinematic quality right. of it. And it's like, it's quite hard to do that when you're four. But it sort of set me on a path where <laughs> I ended up watching a lot of horror films at a too young age. So I'd seen most of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. I'd seen a bunch of the Friday the 13th films. I remember watching Hellraiser when I was about seven um which i really shouldn't have been watching i shouldn't have been watching hellraiser and i also remember um kind of i I got more scared of the boxes and more scared of little clips than i did i found if i watched the whole film i was fine but if i just saw like the box or if i saw i remember like there was a the circle c in my village and they used to have a video department at the back and he was playing running man on the, like again the kids finishing school and he had a, a tv with running man on like he shouldn't have been Brilliant. playing running man in the middle of the day when kids are coming in for their sherbet dib dabs but he was playing <laughs> running man and i walked in in the kind of chainsaw like 
this chainsaw is a part of me now it's going to be a part of you and i just remember being like and kind of running out and for years i wouldn't watch running man because that bit really terrified me when i was sort of eight years old um but as i got a little bit older when i got to kind of i think i got to like nine i got to like 10 11 and i've i found myself having had seen so many of the slasher flicks and the big horror flicks of the time nothing really like, i hadn't seen the exorcist or the omen or rosemary's baby or the shining or anything kind of sort of psychologically unusual but all the kind of slasher films i was totally desensitized to that by the age of i reckon 11 um that's mad it, yeah, too it's, young. it's way too young. It's way too young. And it may be sort of <laughs> <laughs> explains some stuff about my personality a little bit, I think. But I do. So I think, you know, like when when a big horror film comes out, I'm always really interested to see it. When when something new happens in horror and people are talking about it a lot, I'm always really, really interested to see it. You know, The Witch, um, The Babadook, when that came out, was really kind of like desperate to see The Babadook. I remember when the first Saw came out and I was like, I must see this film right yeah. but i'm not a kind of you sit there and watch 30 horror films in a week or something I, I i i don't quite do that to be honest i don't know why i do that like i don't need to do that anymore i just I can't get out of the habit now <laughs> God. it's good it's, it's good to care about something paul absolutely <laughs> of course it is yeah i guess otherwise i'll just be dead inside zombieing about my little village so mm. yeah no fair, fair enough like it is a lot of people's experience that at a young age they clip something and they're they're really frightened by it and it traumatizes them but it also attracts you to them mm. and then you, you later on in life when you pick it up and you remember that bit and you've joined the dots and you just that's how i sort of got into it just like so many other of the the guests that i have on the show but five no I, that's a new one for me that is young it's mm. <laughs> crazy what did you think of the effects by the way i was i didn't really i mean it looks so real do you know what i mean i just yeah. was like when you're five you see these things in front of you on the screen and you don't go wow what an incredible piece of cinematography what an amazing visual effect right. what a brilliant piece of makeup work you know like oh i really must look at tom's get tom savini's magazine and see, you know do you know what i mean i i, I didn't do that um i didn't think in those ways it's just like oh my god he's got big teeth you know that was it so it scared the shit out of me basically the first time i saw that it really scared the shit out of me that's all i remember no fair dues i would have a little telly uh black and white that my parents would let me watch uh in my room and i would always have the sound really low so I couldn't make things out often, but I could like see like the swarm or whatever it was. Mm. And like, it would just be these little clips that would frighten me. Uh, and I would get so excited by it, which has never ended, never ended. Um, it brings us to 1992. Now I was 17 at the time. I don't want to age you out on air, but how old were you on air? I was, I was 12. Okay, this is this will be an interesting chat. Oh, so, it will, yeah, yeah. October, Halloween, nineteen ninety two. Stephen Hill, um, where were you? Were you watching this live, or did you come later at life to this thing? Allow me to set the scene for you, Paul. Knowing what you now know about me, um, I was not alone in this kind of interest in horror. Right, and there were a kind of group of a few of my friends, and. Um, 
my mum, the house I'm currently in now, I've moved back into my childhood home during the pandemic. So I'm in the house now where I was, where all of this happened. But my mum was like the sort of the cool mum. And we would have loads of sleepovers around my house. People would have sleepovers. And we would often say to mum, can you go and rent Robocop? Can you go and rent Candyman? Can you go, do you know what I mean? Can you go and rent yeah. Universal Soldier so we can watch it? So we would have these sleepovers where we would just watch movies and WWF wrestling, right? And we had got to the point, me and my friends, where we were kind of hardened, we thought, in watching sort of horror films. None of no one really had too many nightmares um or anything too scary happening. We used to play that game. Do you remember that game? Oh my god, what's it called? It's like the board game with the video. Um uh oh, atmosphere. Oh. Do you yeah, remember atmosphere? Yeah. We used to play atmosphere like all fucking night, like oh I'm trying to scare the shit out of each other. And <laughs> so when Halloween came along, I said we have to have a Halloween party. We'd had like a Halloween party for about, you know, a couple of years before. And so I had this big, first time ever, this big Halloween sleepover where I invited like 10 of my mates. We went trick or treating. We all dressed up. We went bobbing for apples and we rented Freddy's Dead Nightmare on Elm Street 6 to watch as the film, right? <laughs> So we sat down, yeah, we sat down with the little 3D glasses that they gave us down the spa (laughs) shop. We sat down, we watched Freddy's Dead, which obviously is like a ridiculous movie, completely ridiculous movie. And we all sort of went, ha, that's not scary. So we watched it and we continued our party of, you know, eating our trick or treat stuff. Like people were running around upstairs, probably playing on my, you know, my, uh, my Nintendo and all those kind of things. And then... I said there was something that it wasn't really paying attention. Loads of kids running around. And I went to the living room. The TV was still on. It was on BBC One. And it said, now with scenes that some viewers may find distressing, it's Ghost Watch. That's all I saw, right? And I said, ah, ha, ha. They say this is going to be distressing. Like, cocky 12-year-old. And I was like, oh, we should watch this. We should watch this. So all of our mates, 10 of us, came down. And we watched Ghost Watch in the living room. <laughs> about 10 metres away from me now. And we went from cocky. We we thought it was real, right? We thought it was. We were like, it's real. That's how they presented it. Like, I feel like one of those people who listened to Orson <laughs> Welles doing War of the Worlds in the nineteen thirty-five or whatever. Who was like, oh my god, I got to build a bunker because the aliens are coming. But we watched it <laughs> and we thought it was real, and it traumatized all of us. Brilliant. Like that is how you're meant to watch it. Mm. That is what you're meant to get from that. That is brilliant. I wish I had the same story. Like, <laughs> I I was questioning it the whole time. Um, I didn't know it was on uh, until like that night. So I was just sat down watching it. For some reason, parents weren't in the house, so I was just watching it on my own with my brother. Oh fuck that! And it, well, it, it, it was like I, this is a joke. Because I think some of the uh, the the acting or the maybe the link ups they didn't convince me. I was just like, oh, hang on. Is uh, but then some of it really did convince me. I was like, no, this this is right. Craig Charles didn't know that like he was being uh, on screen there. He was just having a chat with someone. This is really real. And I was going to and fro. But and then I had. I was 17, you know, so I've got a little bit of experience. I think 17 versus 12 tells Uh you a lot of the difference between, I mean, at 17, watching it back now, I would like to think 
it wouldn't have scarred me in the way that it has like genuinely i'm not even joking this scars me to the point that i when we i knew we were doing this i went around my mate's house and we found it on youtube and we went to watch it and i put it on we started watching it and i and he was like this is not scary anymore is it it's not scary and i but i was still like do you know what mate i know i've got to go home to my house where i first watched this with my cat who makes a load of noise in the night i actually think i have to turn this off and watch it another time when there's actually someone else in the house with me or i'm staying at a, do you know what i mean because i it still gives me the fucking willies even though i'm sure we'll get into the actual quality of it it has i'm i'm it's weird because that thing you were saying about being obsessed with it that opens a door that leads you into that kind of obsession i am obsessed with this more than any other thing the bbc have ever put on ever i am obsessed i think you mentioned american i'm kind of obsessed with american psycho and ghost watch i like outside of music my kind of like my two main obsessions and but i'm so scared to watch it and i hadn't watched it from beginning to end i tried a couple of times in the last sort of decade <laughs> this is mad but I am so fucking scared of it. I am so still to this day. It fucking shits me. It terrif- I'm terrified of it. It was an ordeal getting through this, Paul. An ordeal. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to have put you through that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would exercise some demons. It's actually just reinforced them, to be honest. There is some films that still do that. And I find it difficult to watch late at night just on my own. It tends to be those uh, found footage ones because there there is that element of realism if that when they actually get them sort of things right. Mm. But oh, well, I guess this is much the same. There is this could be if just a complete found footage. You know, I've not thought of it like that, but of course it could be. I think it was originally meant to sort of be that. I mean, I don't know how much you've gone into like the the origins of what it was originally going to be because apparently it was originally going to be a six part series, right? That was what it was originally going to be. Didn't know that. Yeah, so it's originally going to be a six-part kind of, which would have made it obvious that it was fake because you would have seen them backstage right. and setting up and all that kind of stuff. And then the BBC said, oh, we want this to go out at Halloween. And they were like, well, we don't really have time to do six parts over the sort of Halloween. And they were like, can you condense it down to one thing? And then they have the idea like, oh, well, let's treat it like it's all happening in real time and let's do it like a real-time thing. And that's why it is what it is um had it have been the other i'm not sure it would have had the same impact well certainly on me because once i knew it wasn't real i mean to be fair by the time you get to the end of it and the cat i was like okay this isn't real it's not real but the thing the damage had been done by that point you know that they plant those seeds so early that i really was like you know this it was a sort of slow descent into actually quite a quick descent into just being like i am fucking terrified and then even at the point we got completely ridiculous i was so deep into it that even though i was like okay well this this isn't real this isn't real this obviously isn't real i had been you can't kind of forget that psychological damage that it had done when you actually thought the moment for me is when they show the footage of the two girls in bed oh this is the footage from before we're going to show it to you now and stuff starts getting thrown around the walls so i was sitting there going this isn't real like oh they're not going to find anything god this is going to be really boring ah, ha, ha, ha. i'm 12 and cocky i've you know you know I, <laughs> i've seen all the you know i've seen halloween a couple of times i know what's you know nothing's going to scare me and then seeing that footage was like a switch and i was like oh shit 
fuck that's really <laughs> that's really weird that's really fucking weird that's like is that proof that ghosts exist and that's really where i was i was like this is fucking terrifying and then the more that it kind of went on with like oh could you see that figure in the background and i i think it's really like it it seems mad to think it now i feel like i'm talking about i'm talking about myself in the third person like i'm <laughs> some do you know what i mean like i'm a caveman who's been brought forward into the future and been given a mobile phone and i'm like oh what is this like it seems mad that anyone would have believed it now it seems absolutely mad but i i did and i you know and i, I wasn't alone either was i loads of people no, believed it adults pensioners it was the talk of the playground it was like my, me and my friends were like the next uh, well i think it was over the weekend that following weekend we had a, a footy meetup and we always would just start chatting about stuff and we didn't play footy for ages because we were just talking about this thing that had mm. scared us all and like as i say i'm 17 like yeah. I think the reason is is because we trust the BBC at that age. We trust Michael Parkinson, so we're we're on on board. Even though, like uh, I think in the newspaper it mentioned, yeah, in in the Radio Times it says screen one, and it's got written by and starring, and you know they said they'd put people from Casualty in it to make sure you were aware that they were that you people who've recently been on the bill and Casualty and you know big shows. But I didn't watch any of those shows. And I didn't buy the Radio Times. And you're right. Like, I mean, Sarah Green's the one for me. Like, the, the, the first time my dad took me to London, I was four. We went to the, the, the went to the London Palladium and we watched Megan Mogg. Do you remember Megan Mogg, the children's of book? Of course, yeah. Right? And Sarah Green played Meg, right? So it was like a Megan Mogg show. And I was like, oh, Sarah Green. She's, she played Meg. She's on Saturday Superstore. She wouldn't lie to me. And then suddenly Look. she's fucking locked in a cupboard and you don't and you're just like oh my good god this is terrifying i was you know like I, all the stuff that was that sort of they flagged up before i wasn't aware of that i just we were having a halloween party and i noticed it was on and yeah yeah, the, yeah. the perfect storm <laughs> of like to, to traumatize a 12 year old mind you know well, another clever thing with Sarah Green is you got Mike Smith in the studio. They're married, mm -hmm. um, and like he does that trying to be professional thing, but also is really concerned at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and it, it takes a lot for him to get to that point, which is a real human sort of emotion. Like you know, you've got to be professional, but I'm really panicked. And it's those little bits. Uh, as I said, there's a, a switch over to Craig Charles and he's not looking at the camera and he's just having a chat and then he's pissed off that they've done that. Just little bits like that that are making a 17-year-old Paul go, um, oh, hang on. Yeah. What's this? Because it's you not... Know, it wasn't, so, wasn't really any kind of precedent, particularly in the BBC, that I'm aware of anyway, that for, the, for them to do something like that. And, I mean, the reaction to it, I mean, like I look, I look back at it now, and analytically go, "What a fucking great idea! Like, what an amazing thing to do!" And to be fair to most of the actors involved and the celebrity, you know, for people like Sarah Green and Michael Parkinson playing themselves, it's only when it gets really ridiculous that they really have to do a lot of acting. So you've seen Sarah Green do those things. You've seen Parkinson and Parkinson. I think Parkinson's actually really good in it. He's actually a, a very good actor, I think, and. You know, Mike Smith, not so much. I think Craig Charles is, is good in it. 
the doctor that's on the sofa with him. I think she's quite good. The mum and the kids, maybe not so much. Looking back, I was like, how the fuck did I not realise these kids were actors? <laughs> how the fuck did I not look at those kids and go, this isn't real? Like, Do you know what I mean? But they got so much of it right. They got enough of it right for it to, to really genuinely affect me. And it's a great idea. Like, it's just a great, it's just a great idea. The bit, there's a bit where she turns to a cameraman and goes, right, this is Chris. Like, he looks like Mike Gatting, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's all those little bits that are just like, okay, this is just your usual sort of trash TV. Like, for mm. that time, there was there was still a lot of that about where they're, they're going live on doing those Vox Pop things. You know, it was a, as a normal thing that you would see on telly. So you could well believe that the setup was real. And, of course, Halloween, Parky sitting down, doing his usual thing. Like, when it gets a bit ridiculous, he's just doing a sort of old eye roll. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm better than this sort of thing. So it was all working, like, for me. I, I didn't know that this was pretend. I had no idea uh, and until, like, the very end. But still, at that point, Stephen, I was questioning it, like, at the time. I was like, what the hell did we just see? Like, he just went really deep-voiced. Mm. Like, what What was that? And then it just stops, like, sort of thing. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> I, I can't imagine being 14 and dealing with that. No. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, I was fucking delighted when it ended. But then I was also like, because the thing about that show is, is that, and I think why... I'm still so kind of intrigued, stroke, obsessed with it all these years later, is the real world consequences of it, which were like, for example, the the going live phone number that was the, the number they used for going, which was, you know that number, right? So you're like, oh, right, well, it's a real number. Yeah. And there are stories of people who called that number and couldn't get through, right? Now, I'm going to tell you for a fact that you couldn't get through on that number because we dialed it, right? My mate was like, we got to call the number <laughs> and called it and was like, he can't get through. And then they said on the screen, uh, we're having a lot of people trying to get through at the moment. Sorry if we can't answer your calls. So we were genuinely brought into, we were like, oh yeah, they're right. We've just tried to call it and we can't get, we can't get through. And there's, and that, you know, apparently they'd, they'd put this number on because people would recognize it. And then it was going to go, hey, you know, sorry, there's no one here. You know, this is not a real thing. Don't worry. Right. But <laughs> yeah. so many people called it that it jammed the line. It actually jammed the line. And we were one of the people who got jammed and we were like, oh, fuck. And then you hear about people <laughs> in the aftermath of it. I mean, A, being terrified of it. I mean, there's, I don't know if you've ever seen the 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 sue lawley program the the answer back thing because on on youtube there like a week later they had this kind of points of view style program where i they, haven't no they got, so they they had this kind of it's sue lawley it's called um bite back i think it's called the footage is amazing there's a guy who looks just like borat and uh he's in the audience and he is fucking livid and they've got the producer and the director there and they're saying, you know, you deliberately mis misleading the public. This is the BBC. You should be better than this. This is a disaster. This is a we thought it was real. And they're all going, oh, we didn't mean to scare you. Like, sorry. Da, da, da. And this guy says, oh, I, we went out for dinner, me and my wife. And we left my daughter and son at home with their grandparents. And we came back while the show was on and they were watching it. And my daughter walked 
into the room. She was white as a sheet and she urinated and vomited on the floor right in front of us and collapsed. <laughs> and you just go, <laughs> I mean, that is a scary evening for the people that are out there. Like you've gone out and you suddenly you're seeing like children on the screen, like Sarah Green's getting trapped there, cats and you know, oh, those cats. fucking noises going on. They make it all really kind of, really kind of mundane, but believable stuff. Like loads of cats just meowing a lot and just hanging around. You're like, that is weird that loads of cats are sort of hanging around here. And then, you know, oh, they can't open that bottom door of this really kind of quite mundane looking house. It's not a big, grand, stately mm -hmm. home, like classic ghost, haunted ghost house. It's a really, you know, it's a two up, two down sort of um, just housing estate house right yeah. I, I, and i mean and to see all that going on be what the fuck is this and then your kid come in and puke on the floor in front of you and collapse like that's really fucking scary that might you're like and this guy was fuming he's fucking livid and of course as well i mean a genuinely the genuine tragedy of like that that 18 year old who committed suicide and right wrote in his if ghosts exist then i will be one of them and and you know i think he was somebody with learning difficulties right i think he was yeah yeah that's right yeah, yeah and like died killed himself because of this show i mean it's i'm obsessed with this show paul i think like <laughs> the impact it has had like i just find it complete like completely fascinating and um and then it was gone. Do you know what I mean? Then it was gone for years. Right. Just vanished. Just, you're not allowed to mention it. It wasn't on, never, you know, obviously in the early days of the internet, there probably wouldn't have been a lot of information about it. It was never repeated. It was never nope. spoken about. It was never, it just, it did, it, it's like it came in like a wrecking ball, did all this mad <laughs> shit. And then it's just like, right, was that a fucking dream? Like, where did that go? That thing? No one ever mentions it or talks about it. You can't get it on video. You can't get it on, so weird but so cool <laughs> I, I agree there was some things re-watching it that i i hadn't picked up and i'm gonna mention it so the first thing was uh not a scary thing it's the jacket that craig charles was wearing he wore this and chicago bears oh, right. yeah, yeah. and i after seeing that Loved it so much. I went and got a Minnesota Vikings because I wanted to be I wanted to be American football boy. So mm -hmm. I went and got myself a similar jacket. Um, so I, I I just remember. Oh my God, Paul, you weird boy. That's what you've taken <laughs> from, from this Ghost film. <laughs> yeah, nice. I like his jacket. Uh, yeah, but there is a bit that freaks me the the hell out now, and I think it's why it tricked so many people and it's it's reasonably early on it's when they go over some footage and you can see the figure and then when they replay the footage they draw what they think is a figure but it's not where we saw the figure so mm. they're, they're drawing and you are shouting at the telly no that's not it it's that you idiots what you're doing sort of thing and it's just like that is so clever because we're all now engaged we've seen what we've seen and it's now not there, and they're trying to figure out what people maybe mean. That now is a perfect setup for a horror film, like perfect. Uh, and this is just a, you know a bunch of writers getting together. BBC can can you do this? Yes, you can. Brilliant. I, I, I'm so impressed 
that this plays out just like a, a fantastic found footage horror film. Hmm. Just from that little bit, so clever. And Love it. Y- you, you know, there was no Sky Plus or, you know, you weren't streaming this so you could go back back then. Do you know what I mean? Like if you saw it the first time, you'd go, did I see that? And then they changed the footage so that the thing that you saw was then a different... So And then they're drawing it. And yeah, you're right. And you're just like, they've like attention to detail in well just in anything is is one of it's so key isn't it to like make it i think you know little tiny details are so important to the the sort of the success or failure of pretty much anything i think i mean i as an example i was watching um of of how not to do it like i was watching pistol the sex pistols thing yesterday and there's a bit before the sex pistols are formed and steve jones goes out and gets drunk and they and he's listening to um who are you by the who but that came out in 1978 and i'm like well that's this is basic stuff guys like these are the Mm. sort of details that good writers and good filmmakers and good um producers the sort of things they obsess over and i think that kind of thing where they were like right we'll show him but then we'll take him away and then we'll get it right like it's really like you the layers and layers you can peel the layers back over and over again and there is a lot of that in this it is actually you know i mean like i say going back to watch it for the first time was for me was like going back to it was like dr strange where he goes back to the hotel do you know what i mean i was like oh god here we go and i think i mean the other thing i i I can't believe how creepy just the bbc sounded in and stuff in the 80s and 90s just just sound like how much more cuddly is telly just in general these days do you know what i mean like hey coming up next on itv2 we've got family guy uh stick around for that whereas in the bbc it's probably like up next will be the local weather and then <laughs> yes. a ghost to watch production. and it's these dark colors and just a one with like all this black stuff and you can go this is it's just terrible it's just like bleak as fuck like before you've even if you're about to go into only fools and horses this is bleak do you know what i mean it's everything about it felt really kind of austere and bleak and just and i watch it and i'm like it's just we it was just felt like a, a creepy world that we were living in and and then when those titles come up i mean there's just something about those titles that it just put the fucking fear of god into me the second that it came up and like i said i have i think it was about 20 years after it came out so it would have been about 2012 that i i have a, i have probably thought about ghost watch once a year every like about five years after it finished, I tried to like block it from my brain. And then one day, probably when I was about 17, I was like, do you remember that ghost watch thing? God, that scared the fucking shit out of me. I think it was like the first time I watched The Shining, I was 17 and that really scared me. But I remember, and I remember getting kind of similar feelings, but nowhere near as much to be honest. Like I found ghost watch far scarier. And then I sort of every year I'd go, Oh yeah. Remember ghost watch. Oh yeah. And it wasn't until sort of the 20th anniversary came along. That I, re- that I remember tweeting out and going, does anyone remember this fucking thing? And the the producer came back to me and a load of people were like, oh yeah, there's this, this, this. And that's when I discovered all the 
the kind of the lore and stuff surrounding it and but i was still too scared to actually watch it still took me a couple of years before i was like right i'm gonna try and find it on youtube and i'm gonna watch it and even then i kind of was like no and i bottled it a few times um yeah i just think it's like it's such a it it's such a like it's such a perfect storm for me do you know what i mean it's such a perfect storm of me being the right age or the wrong age and then all the stuff happening in the aftermath of it and then it going away and then me remembering it and it's still having this like weird hold on me and then having finding out all this other stuff like you know they did a table read for the sequel and it only ever got played in belgium and they were going to do a documentary about it but then the documentary kind of went away and like people have an have a, a reaction to this thing and it's, it tends to be like you who'd be like i guess oh yeah i saw it and i kind of thought it was weird um people who are like i have no idea what that is and then you play it to them like my ex-girlfriend is american and i was like there's this thing that was on in 1992 it's so fucking scary what scared of shit she's like oh, i don't like scary stuff and tried to watch it and she's like this is just not scary at all ah, just not right. scary at all she's like i cannot believe you found it scary <laughs> or you get people like me i think because there are a few other people that i've met who are like oh my god like like i say i got tweets from people going oh my god oh my god my pipes oh god oh god like absolutely who it just fucking traumatized forever and i can't i genuinely can't imagine ever being more scared by a piece of television or film or radio or performance art than i was by ghost watch i don't think that will ever ever happen to me again it's never happened since i don't think it's ever going to happen again um and for that reason i am legitimate i mean the fact that i got hold of you paul and went when you do ghost watch <laughs> please have me on and now listen to me rabbiting on i'm sorry i've hardly let you talk but yeah no that's brilliant because I think you you are 100% right with this. It has influenced a lot of people. Those that witnessed it, those that bore witness, like went on to be either terrified throughout their life of this memory, which has wonderfully sort of semi been forgotten. So it, it now just lives in nightmares. Or, or you've become like Mark Gatiss and like the League of Gentlemen and things like that that have just like take an influence from that and run with it uh, across the BBC. So yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 a wonderful thing. The thing that sort of made me believe that it could be real, um looking at my notes here and I've got to mention it is when they catch the girls out so they're banging yeah yeah under the stairs Again, and making that noise. Slight such good sleight of hand, right? Too too clever because then the country, I can just imagine a collective sigh going, oh, I was, I was getting there, you know, oh, I was, I was getting, I had me there. Yeah. And even Parky, he's just like, oh, I'm really sorry, everyone out there. And then they go to that American correspondent who's just like, well, there we go. You know, I was right all along. Yeah. Uh, and I can just imagine that collective sigh across the country at the time before shit hits the fan and Stephen Hill goes, ah! God, I mean, look, even on? when the girls were banging a thing, I was still like, yeah, but I'm already, like I say, I'm already fucking psychologically damaged from what has come before. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, good, yeah, good. Well, no, I knew it wasn't real, but fuck. Like, I'm all bent out of shape, like psychologically damaged at this point, regardless, you little bastards. But uh, yeah, and then you're like, oh, okay, good, yeah, all right, good, all right, no, no, I was fine, no, I was fine, and yeah, and then it fucking ramps back up again. So, uh, like an ama- it's a, it's an amazing sleight of hand, and you know, the be- like for it to get banned, and oh yeah, it, it's 
it is good and i just think it's it would be so hard it's so hard to play it to someone now isn't it because we've seen so many of these things now these found footage things and people would think you're an idiot like people are probably listening to this going you believe this you stupid <laughs> even at 12 you should have known this wasn't real you absolute idiot but genuinely i i i fucking got suckered into it like i really did um but it's mad to think that it was banned like do you know what i mean like properly properly banned well it's a risk you've got the bbc you've got someone actually dying afterwards you don't want to be going into a defense mode because you're going to come off bad it's never going to it's never going to work out like as we know today anyone that gets that sort of shit come at them there's there's ways to handle it and there's ways mm. not to handle it so i think they did the right thing they just let it go they did but then they weirdly by doing the right thing i think they kind of increased like for me certainly the paranoia of just how fucking terrifying this thing was just increased and i think it's a shame that they didn't get to do so are you aware of the the sequel the written sequel you can no, you not can, at all. you can read the script online so there is a ghost watch behind the curtains website and you can read the full script for the sequel which was going to be set like most haunted and the story is that 10 years after michael parkinson and sarah green go missing um the bbc have boarded up that studio that was that Ghostwatch was setting. They've boarded it up and nobody's been in there. And 10 years later, they're going to send a team of paranormal people, you know, Ghostbusters or whatever. They're going to send them in there with, I'm not, and I promise you, I'm not making this up. They're going to send them in there with Jade Goody. <laughs> You're making that I'm up. I'm not making that up. I promise you. They're going to send them in with Jade Goody, who obviously at that point had just come out of the Big Brother house and was a massive star. And they were going to film it a la Most Haunted. Because obviously, like, Most Haunted, again, took that idea and went, oh, let's try and do it for real. But then got Derek Akora to just sort of like, go on, Derek, riff some fake dead people. Like, you know. Um, and it kind of, yeah, it sort of spawned the whole genre of ridiculous stuff like Most Haunted, but then also the Blair Witch Project and, you know, Paranormal Activity right. and that kind of stuff. But yeah, they were, they wanted to do, they, they kind of pitched this idea, um, you know, 10 years later, or I think, was it 10 or 11, or 11 years later? So 2002, 2003, where they wanted to do this, like, we send people into the studio and the, and the whole script is online. The whole script is there. I've, re I've read the whole script and it's a, you know, it's a really like it's got some really interesting cool stuff on it and it it kind of mentions you know how influential ghostwatch became it does a lot of kind of meta stuff about that it does a lot about the kind of the rise of you know it's a, a lot of it as well as about the kind of rise of reality tv around that era as well because obviously you're getting i'm a celebrity and big brother in their kind of infancy really and you know reality tv as a sort of I guess pop idol as well and that kind of stuff in its infancy and so it riffs off that a lot riffs off its its own legacy and it's a really interesting script and their idea to put again to put real reality tv stars in there mm. I think is a fucking genius idea but the BBC by all accounts the BBC straight away were like not a chance not a chance because 10 years <laughs> is no. not a long it's you know if it is a long time and I think for me, from 12 to 22, I would have felt far more comfortable watching Ghostwatch 2 at the age of 22 than I was watching Ghostwatch at the age of 12, particularly with the... But I still think 
there would have been a part of me that was like i am fucking terrified to watch this thing um they maybe pitched it a little bit too early but then i and, and it was in that period oh where God. where it just wasn't a thing do you know what i mean like no one ever mentioned it like i meant you know like i said it had been banned and buried and they tried to bring it back in the like in in the in, in those years and it's still you know like you can get it on dvd now but and it gets mentioned a little bit i guess because of the internet and people yeah. like us bringing it up it's more likely to have a sort of more of a cult following and have people who are more aware of it but i mean it rarely gets mentioned on actual terrestrial television really does it no here's the thing jay goody perfect at that time it would have brought in a bunch of normies that are just like oh, i love jay goody let's sit down and watch this you know and that would have done the same thing i can only imagine and the bbc's probably like, oh hang on a minute we don't want the same thing i mean i tuned in because craig charles like red dwarf you know, I think it was season five or something had just finished. Yeah. And, you know, I was a massive Craig Charles fan. So I'm like, oh, he's on this. I'm going to give this a go. Like, it only takes that one little thing to get you trapped in, into this ghost watch shit. It, yeah, it Jesus. really does. Yeah, really, like really it does. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have seen it. But I mean, if if you want to go and read the whole thing, you can read the script. Uh, Where is it? What's that website again? Oh, let me, it's Ghost Watch Behind the Curtains, it's called. Um let me i'm um, actually let me do this right now while we're doing it uh i'm going to try and bring it up on my computer um to see if it's still there hold on uh behind the curtains that's what it's called isn't it um it's ghost watch ghost watch um btc.com okay is where I think where you can find it. I mean, I haven't actually seen it there, but yeah, it's a whole, a whole thing, a whole thing of like um, Ghostwatch related stuff is just on this website. Like every time it ever gets mentioned, ever, it's uh, it's on here, basically. So um, yeah, if you're interested in this, uh, go and go and have a little look at that. It's fucking extensive. I'm I'm there. Um, I've got a final question. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've sort of mentioned it, but I've, I've got to bring it up again. Um, can you watch this today uh, and have any of it hold up? For for, for me, I, I can't see it. Much like your ex-girlfriend, I just don't think it'll work. But is there a circumstance where you think it will? Only my very specific circumstance, I think, which transports me there. back to how scared. Just I watched it. Right, and I, I had to watch it with someone else. Someone else was sitting there going, this isn't really very scary, is it? And I was sort of like, no. But then inside I was like, but it's still making me feel weird because the imprint of it, it like, does it stand up? I, I mean, I think it's, I think in the same way as like an influential album that has been, that has like something like, um, like Piper of the Gates of Dawn by Pink Floyd. I don't really think it sounds very good today, but that's the first Pink Floyd album. Do you know what I mean? It's influenced loads of things. I think you should listen to it with that context. And I think if you watch Ghost Watch with all the whilst considering the context, I think you would go, "Oh, th you know, this is interesting. This is a good idea, and this is well done for 1992." Obviously, years and years later with found footage and these kind of like you know the Blair you know the Blair Witch Project is 
obviously took this idea and kind of did a you know a very very similar thing and albeit a lot better i mean people often still say now like, does the blair witch project still hold up without context just as a movie on its own and i think they're kind of fairly it's a fairly similar conversation like you know once i saw the blair witch project i already knew that it wasn't real so it never really scared me do you know what i mean but i can see how if sure. you were watching it and you were one of those people in the cinema but i do watch it with and go this is a good film you know it's a good film and a great idea and all the kind of viral marketing behind it and everything was great i think if you watch ghost watch with that in mind you will probably go there is some really good ideas in this but it's really hard for me to say it's really hard for me to say because just the font they use scares me <laughs> it's so bad that font but it's scary it's really it's like I, it's it was imprinted on my brain from an early age and then it <laughs> left and i all i had were these faint you know i look at it it's like i've got a pavlovian response to everything about ghost watch really which is just like fear do you know what I mean? Just like unease. It's not even fear. It's unease. It's like seriously, it, the whole thing makes me feel really uneasy. The the color scheme, the set, the way the set looks, what they're wearing, the kind of the grainy nature of the footage, the font, just everything about it, even the things that don't work, uh, make me feel uneasy. So it's a really difficult question for me to answer, Paul. Really, really difficult. It doesn't really hold up. Into, I mean, like, objectively, it doesn't really hold up. But I think you need to add in the context or you have to have just been there, really. Um, and, you know, I've got to say, if you weren't there, I, I actually... I, <laughs> I, I actually envy you a little bit because it's become, like, quite a, an albatross around my neck, this, this thing. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> It, it, it well it just shows you these things can traumatize mm. you know if you if you get them at a young enough age you know horror can do that and and, and yeah I, I i don't know whether that person um died directly because of that i mean there is an argument to say that person would have died no matter what but at the same time that it's in the conversation I think the fact that he directly referenced it and did it after watching and apparently was very, was very scared of it. obsessed with it, wasn't he? Yeah. You've got to watch yeah, out for those people. Tricky. I think what I will do is I will read um, after this thing, I will read the report so people understand that context yeah. of what happened with that kid because it's, uh, it's an interesting story in itself. Um, Stephen Hill... Thank you so much for being part of this. It's been awesome. Thanks very much, mate. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you for at least helping, trying to help me exercise some demons. <laughs> Just making everything worse. It's not, it's not really worked, unfortunately. But um, yeah, thanks very much, mate. I appreciate it. So welcome live this Halloween night to the first ever TV Ghost Watch. That's the scene in uh, Fox Hill Drive in Northolt. Our outside broadcast units are there. That's the house where it might all happen tonight or it might not. We shall see. Thank you so much again, Mr. Stephen Hill. And as I mentioned during that chat, here are the details of the case regarding the young man's death. I've taken this and I am quoting what is needed directly from the pages of Wiki. But this is an interesting rabbit hole to go digging in, so here it is. 
a number of psychological effects were reported in Ghostwatch's wake. 18-year-old factory worker Martin Denham, who suffered from learning difficulties and had a mental age of 13, committed suicide five days after the programme aired. The family home had suffered with a faulty central heating system which had caused the pipes to knock. Denham linked this to the activity on the show, causing great worry. He left a suicide note reading, If there are ghosts, I will be with you always as a ghost. His mother and stepfather, April and Percy Denham, blamed the BBC. They claimed that Martin was hypnotised and obsessed by the programme and the Broadcasting Standards Commission, they refused their complaint along with 34 others as being outside their remit. But the High Court granted the Denham's permission for a judicial review requiring the BSC to hear the complaint. In its ruling, the BSC stated that the BBC had a duty to do more than simply hint at the deception it was practising on the audience. In Ghostwatch, there was a deliberate attempt to cultivate a sense of menace. They ruled that the programme was excessively distressing and graphic, referring to the scratches on the children and the reference to mutilated animals. And that it had aired too soon after the 9pm watershed. They further stated that the presence in the programme of presenters familiar from children's programmes took some parents off guard in deciding whether their children could continue to view. This is Paul now. I think it's really hard to disagree with the BSC's finding. But at the same time, the 9pm watershed is a watershed. Anyway... It continues. The film's producers argued that Ghostwatch had aired during a drama slot and that it was recognisable as fiction to a vast majority and that running disclaimers or any other announcements during the programme would have ruined its effectiveness. They also stated that had they anticipated that audience reaction, they would have made the fictional nature clearer. However, after the BSC ruling, they issued an apology. It doesn't end there, though. There is a couple of more cases, and I'll just quickly go over them. Simons and Silvera published a report in the British Medical Journal in February 1994. They described two cases of ghostwatch-induced post-traumatic stress disorder in children, both 10-year-old boys. They stated that these were the first reported cases of PTSD caused by a television programme. Responses to that article described a further four cases in children aged between 11 and 14. Stephen Hill, Stephen Hill. The respondents also noted the potential for similar reactions in elderly people. However, the conclusion of the article does state... The rapid resolution of the children's symptoms suggests that the children suffered a brief anxiety reaction to the television programme, although they may have exhibited some of the features of post-traumatic stress disorder. This diagnosis in their cases is inappropriate. So all in all, Stephen Hill proves them all wrong. It still lingers. You want to be traumatised? Well, where can you find this? I can tell you where, nowhere except the DVD, which is currently at around £7 on Amazon. 
podcasts. The Six Dimension podcast spent just under an hour devouring Ghostwatch back in December 18. And even more intense is the 90-minute deep dive into the glory hole made by humanoids from the deep dive back in January 2022. And that's it. That's your Ghostwatch. Thanks, Auntie Beeb. Peter Jackson. I think he's a master. Bad taste and brain dead. They're splatter essentials. Uh, I've yet to see Meet the Feebles, but I have seen Lovely Bones. I have seen Heavenly Creatures, and I just think they're fantastic dramas. Um, one of them has a little bit of sort of otherworldliness about it. Uh, and the Lord of the Rings series and King Kong, they are Stone Cold classics. The Hobbit series was big misfire but at least it's watchable and get back that Beatles documentary just made me cry at several points it was so good so yeah Peter Jackson ton of respect for and I think I'm pretty much on board with everybody else's opinion on that right but we're talking about brain dead and well what are some of my favorite bits that we don't mention in the conversation in a moment well, I love the date at the zoo with Paquita uh, because that stop animation is amazing. That's of the rat monkey. And of course, then there's Lionel's mum who's spying on them. But she gets bit by the rat monkey and I think it's just glorious. I'm sorry I keep saying rat monkey. Sounds weird. Uh, everything in this whole scene, this whole setup is so over the top and the music is so sprightly, so gentle, so funny. Uh, and yet perfectly fits this scene. Also, if you're going to be talking about special effects, then what about when that pus flies into the pudding and the ear falls off into the pudding? Uh, all that gory practical effects, that's paradise stuff for me. And even without that bloodbath scene with the mower a bit later on, uh, where there is blood everywhere, it's a complete splatterfest. But yeah, even without that mad scene, I'd still love this film. It's my favourite film from 1992. It is Dead Alive, a.k.a. Brain Dead. On this picturesque block, in this manicured home, something evil, something terrifying, something horrifying, is haunting life. His mother. I thought I told you to spray this house. The place is infested with vermin. Although she was a little strict. Look at this dust. It's an inch thick. He never wished her any harm. You look after me. Until... <laughs> Your mother's dead, Lionel. Now, whatever oh. mom's got... Who's your mother? ...has caught on. With the neighbors. You can pray. Oh, I kick ass for the Lord. You can plead. You can beg for mercy. But nothing you can do will stop. 
Because how do you kill something that's already dead? Trimark Pictures presents a modern masterpiece of horror. Your mother ain't my dog! Dead Alive. Party's over. And here's that letterbox synopsis. Some things won't stay down, even after they die. When a rat monkey bites Lionel Cosgrove's mother, she's transformed into a zombie and begins killing and transforming the entire town while Lionel races to keep things under control. So, brain dead is too much for one person, right? Brain dead needs a friend to share the experience. It's always better that way. And that friend of mine is regular guest on the pod, Ben. Now, Ben runs his own podcast, which delved into the how to improve your business model and outlooks, whatever it may be. Uh, it's called Squaring the Circle. So if you're a business entrepreneur and just want some advice, switch over to Ben. Turn this off right now. Now, Ben is the fella that has seen cats less than one time. He's the one that made Johnny Cash walk the line. He is the one that made the Beatles feel fine. That's right, it's my mate and yours talking with me recently about the heavenly brain dead, the one, the only, the Benjamin Bowles. Brain dead. Brain dead. Um, like some some of the some of the films are a complete slog. But this one, um, I would have been watching anyway, probably. Are you telling me that I think what was it, Blood Eaters last time? <laughs> Quite a few in there. Blood Eaters. Um, I can't even remember that. What was the what oh, was that, the name of was the that a Korean one? No, that was bonkers and shit, but and and bad. But um, um hey, you got Mulholland Drive. Come on. Yeah, that was early on. You lured me with that. Um, <laughs> no, what was it? Oh, uh, evil speak. <laughs> Fuck me, that was bad. Uh, both video nasties, those. That's strange, it is. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Well, anyway, as I was saying, thank you so much for giving up your time and, and doing these for us. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. A pleasure when it's brain dead, Mulholland Drive. Um, I've seen some corkers actually. I'm, I'm being unfair. Yeah, you are. Every, there, there is stuff to grab out of every single horror. Every one, even those ones that I give a half point to, and never want to see again. At least they're a horror. At least they're horror. Yeah, yeah. But the the sort of on running joke is that I come on a horror podcast and I'm not into that horror. I'm not it. into horror that much. I think it works. So we're discussing brain dead. You're Benjamin Bowles. Hello, Paul. How are Hi. you? Tell were we uh, were we were we rolling? We we have been since uh, for about a minute. Is that going to be um, added content for for Patreon? Oh no, this is this is all staying in. This is all gold. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I'm pleased. This is brain dead. This is my number one. It's my number one film for for the year of 1992. What's your thoughts, young sir, on Mr. Peter Jackson? So when 
a, a sort of a peek behind the curtain for the uh, listeners when when you send me the, the questions that potentially we're going to sort of touch upon. One of the questions was about Peter Jackson, so I thought, oh, so do 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 I like Peter Jackson? Um, because I think that he's so massive that you get to a stage where it's sort of you know, quite cool to not like him because he's just like a Spielberg child. Oh. And then, so I was looking back at all the films and I thought, groundbreaking, 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 incredible. And he's just, he's just an absolute ledge. And um, so I'm really pleased that I, you asked me this question because it, it reinforced how much I love him as a filmmaker. And that goes back to Brain Dead, which we'll, we'll talk about. But um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, that's got amazing memories for me because I remember going to see that every single Christmas for three years with my mate Jay, Westgate Cinema. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, more in more modern times, the, the Beatles doc, which was oh. just incredible. Um, just the amount of work that's gone into that. Who and, cries at a music documentary? We do. We, we bloody do. And um, and more recently, another doc, but they shall not grow old, which I thought was a beautiful piece of cinema too. Yeah. Um, so in short, he's great. He is. He's always seemingly pushing the boundaries, and even circling back to Brain Dead in 1992. I think he was probably you would know more about the horror around this time. But I would have thought he was even pushing the envelope with this, wasn't he? Well, it's a weird thing. I don't think me and my group of friends we didn't get it for a couple of years. There, there was rumours going about uh, going around about it, but it was something that wasn't so easy to get. When I did watch it, I initially just thought, oh, this is sort of like an Evil Dead type of rip-off. But it, I was so happy for Gore to be back and in, in that way. And it made me laugh and it was just so disgusting. It was so over the top. And it became the tape that we all needed to get was bad taste. We've seen this one. How the hell do we get hold of bad taste? Like, what is that going to be like? What's his first? If this is his second film, what's his first going to be like? It was a mad time when we're all scrambling and trying to trade tapes with people in like far off reach places like Leeds and things like Leeds. Imagine that. Like Leeds. someone in Leeds that has got a copy and oh. bad taste. <laughs> did you go up to Leeds? Did I go up? Yeah, no. did you go up to Leeds and get it? No, mate, we used post. Oh, yeah, that was invented back then. Wasn't it? it was, yeah. God, I'm not that old. I'm not pre-post. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Have you ever seen Meet the Feebles? Nah. No, I really want to see it. It's the one I haven't seen. I, was, I like you, was looking down. Right. I saw I saw Lovely Bones and Heavenly Creatures, and I thought, yeah. oh yeah, he did those. They're both brilliant. And I was like, wow, what like you? What a complete catalogue. Those war documentaries. Get yeah. back. Just like no matter what he does, he is brilliant at it. And I can't. I loved King Kong for goodness' sake. Like it's well, way way too long, but I loved it. King Kong was an unbelievable film, and not really not my kind of film, but. Um, yeah, he brings, I'll tell you what he does. And again, relating this back to Brain Dead, he, he brings a very human aspect into his films, whatever film it is. And I think that's why he's, he's just so good. And he even does, like I said, even he does that with, with Brain Dead because however OTT it gets and however much gore there is, 
for whatever reason, and I can't put words to it why this is, but there's still heart and soul and craft to it. And maybe I've just given it a rewatch. So maybe that's why I'm looking at it through a different lens. But I always remember it just being fun and completely gross out and, and, and you're laughing all the way through. But crucially, one note I made when I was watching this one uh, on the, re- on the um, rerun was you're never laughing at it. You're laughing with yeah. it. And I think that's so, so vital. Yeah, it's just, yeah, despite everything that's going on, it's got real heart and soul and it's just... There's a real technical craft of the whole thing. There was a bit at the beginning, the sort of foreshadowing of the mower blades and the way that shot yeah. uh, when his mum asked him to mow the lawn. It's so good. It's so, like, how is this your second film? Yeah. Like, There's loads of lovely, lovely shots. Really, really like, artistic shots. I think it will be very easy to look at this film and see it sort of aesthetic and sort of think, oh, it's just all chucked together. But there's so much craft and technically it's so good. The editing is spot on. The sound design is ludicrous, ludicrous. Can't even say it, it's that bonkers. Ludicrously, is that ludicrously? There you go. Ludicrously bonkers. That works, but it's never too much. It's just the tone is perfect. I agree. I mean, did you first watch this with the with mates or was it was it recently or I mean, when did you first get hold of this thing? I I was on tour with a band and I hadn't I'd never heard of this film at all. And we were in just outside, I want to say just outside London, and we were sleeping on the floor of someone I didn't know, standard. And his flatmate was a bit like um, you know, Brad Pitt's character in True Romance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he was just he was sitting there just stained out of his face with this on. And um I think I was about 10 minutes in, so I hadn't missed too much. And I was just instantly drawn in. I thought, what the fuck is this? I can't stop watching it. It's, this is incredible. And it just went on and on and on. And I loved it. Yeah, I loved it as soon as I saw it. Then I've seen it, then I saw it again sort of like a few years later. And, and like I said, I've just had a quick rewatch now. So, yeah, this goes way back. So that would have probably been, obviously it was out in 92, but I would have probably seen it in about 2000, 2002 for the first time, not really knowing too much about the genre either. And then after that, I watched Evil Dead 2 because I, I thought, oh, that's going to be the same kind of vibe. And I loved that too. I can't agree more, more with that. It is the same sort of vibe. I like that you were on tour and you, you've seen that on tour. I've watched many a sh- shitty movie that someone's recommended to me. And that's when I first watched Matrix sequels on sleeping on someone's like nice. sofa. Oh god. But let's let's get back. Lionel, Mr. Lionel Cosgrove, our oh, main Cosie. guy. What do you make of this guy? Because he's as you say, there's a heart to this film and he seems to be this beating heart throughout it. Uh can you relate to him? Because he's a klutz. Yeah, he's a he's he's I don't think the character will, will win any awards for originality. You've seen it so many times, haven't we? The lovable, clumsy protagonist who wants to fall in love with the Khan that's, that's henpecked by the mother, you know, all, the, all these things. But he's perfectly cast and he plays the character really, really well. And you're with him when he's taking a lawnmower to about 50 zombies. You're with him. You want him to kill everybody. <laughs> so I suppose it, it works in that way, doesn't it? 
I fell in love with him when he was embarrassed when he sort of just got the date and he's embarrassed. It's really close to the beginning of the film and he almost gets run over by a tram. And what you would naturally do is try and look cool, is just grab the tram, but it's already gone past him and it just flings him. And this is a real effect. There's no digital shit going on here. So some actor, whether it was a stunt or actually him, has just grabbed this moving tram and gone flying with it. I love the guy from that moment. I just thought like everyone can see themselves in him because he's so embarrassed and useless. And yet you just love the guy. I don't, I, I really don't know how to phrase what I'm trying to say, but I just love him as a character. And the accent is a nail. Bang. I love it. Bang. There's a really nice scene where it, it looks like he's in a sort of an old people's home where he's taking care of the zombies. I just think that's an amazing touching scene as well. Like the vicar's head's falling off and he's sort of trying to sort of make him sit upright. Feed it under, feed it under the so crack. Good. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, okay. Also, I quite like that there is really touching music, like piano score that's going on, like on the date at the zoo and things like that. So it doesn't just want you to think of all this gore and stuff. It wants you to get invested in their relationship. It wants you to care about them. As we said, Jackson's no idiot. Like he knows exactly. Oh yeah, he knows the chops. Even even to the point where the jock who takes the lady out on a date, and he's just boring her with with sort of <laughs> like what he's done on the football field. Even that is brilliant. And the very fact that. He so the the scene starts and he's talking about himself. Then it cuts away to something totally different. And then about ten minutes later, it comes back to the sort of the, the other end of the scene, and he's still talking. This is brilliant. Yeah, it's it's been done lots and times before. But even even small things like the edit where he's he's talking and he finishes a sentence, it goes to a wider shot, and she's just not there. It's just so it's even got some kind of airplane goofy slapstick stuff to it i bloody love this film paul <laughs> i want to mention another bit where where he just he's his reactions are so perfect it's his mum they're at the dinner table and his mum's <laughs> been infected and she can't <laughs> say annual meetings so you're so look, and he can see this is all going wrong, but he wants it all to go right for his mum. So he's just trying to cover up as best that he can. And I just love, I love his reaction. He's so good. And it's weird how we don't see much more of him after this. Like maybe it was just lightning in a bottle. Maybe. Yeah, that's true, actually. I don't know what he, what he did after. We've got to talk about special effects, Ben, because hmm. this film is crazy for it. And as I say, it's what me and my horror buddies and I make that sound like there was loads of us that we were a threesome and we would just like recommend films to each other and, and get the tape and then go around each other's houses and swap tapes and all sorts of things we would just love all this crap but this as I say was the tape to get and I thought watching it and also re-watching it a lot of this stuff, because it's practical and it will just cost so much and take so much time, I just think a lot of this is still not being bettered. If you want that sort of comic tone and yet to make it look real and gross, like what? how perfect is this? Even like when they're filling up the fella with embalming fluid, but they can't, it's too much. So it just starts coming out of him. Embalming fluid isn't luminous green. But it doesn't matter. It just works so much. It's just 
the way it looks so gross. Is there any like practical effects that you want to mention that just need highlighting here? Well, I was just looking as you were talking there what the budget was for Brain Dead. Do you know what the budget was? Came in about three million roughly, which I would have thought, looking at the film, ninety percent of that would have been on the effects, right? Because nothing else was really sort of expensive. But in terms of uh, effects, I love. Well, I suppose I'll double up. Um, effects that I loved and the scene that I loved because of the effects is where the um, the vicar goes batshit. Vicar goes kung fu, essentially. Um, <laughs> for the Lord. For the Lord, of course. He kicks ass for the Lord. And uh, where, he, where he basically decapitates someone in about five seconds. It's just so good. And, and the very fact that you can see it's a stunt guy doing kung fu. But it's still, this is how good this film is. It still doesn't take you out of the moment. It's just so good. So, yeah, there's that. There's also a bit that really stuck in my head is where he um, this is quite near the end. And the guy gets his rib gauge just pulled out and you just see and it's a massive rib cage. That's great. Yeah. But there's so, there's so many. I mean, leaving little spots like the baby nearly, nearly going into the blender. Um, and that brings me on to another scene, the playground where the baby gets catapulted up. I mean, that's fucking genius. Just the whole thing. And that was another, I've gone way off track here, but that was another I love note. it, I love it. I'm just thinking <laughs> that, of it straight. That was another note that I made, that it's so entertaining, you can't wait. You literally can't wait to see what the filmmaker's got up, got up his sleeve next, because you know it's just going to be brilliant. It's just relentless genius. Don't even know the question, Paul. Whilst those effects are all, like, stellar, just incredible not just for the time as i say but just incredible still today like yeah. if a film came out like this today it's not like i'll be going oh that looks so 1992 i'll be like wow oh my god yeah. but what i love about this uh, and i forgot it happens until it happens is that the story gets more detailed so they actually bring some more story in with the uncle coming in to get the inheritance uh, yeah. So he's not given up on that. He's given uh, viewers something more because, yeah, like you can watch a splatter film and it'll be a splatter film, but it's got to have some undercurrent, some reason why all this splatter is going on. And it sets the rest of the film up, just the introduction of this character. I love the fact that they've actually put this in and not just to extend running time, but to give this a bit more weight, a little bit more weight, at least. I mean, it's not Citizen Kane, but it's giving it a bit of weight so you can actually go, yeah, do you know what? This has earned its running time. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Agree. Well, we can't we come back to the point. I mean, it's it's never going to win originality uh for the storyline, but you're you're cheering for the people that you need to be cheering for because everything's in it, everything's in its place, and there's and there's heart and there's soul um just to everything on screen. And just quickly, while this is sort of live research, he even shot on 16 mil rather than 35, so he could save money to do more effects. So there we go. That's great. Yeah, he knew. He knew. He knew. I well, I don't see like a penny being wasted. Like the fact that you know how when you watch films like this, and you've loved them because the effects are working in sync, totally in sync with the story, with the characters, with everything else. 
and then they've run out of budget at the end and you can see them run out of budget and it's a real shame it doesn't happen here if anything it gets more explosive they're on a roof now you know this has gone crazy the stop animation is going on and it's just all ridiculous but there's always a problem I've found one and I'm just wondering this is my favorite film from 92 but could okay. you pick any holes in it Bing is there anything that you're like in hindsight um probably if I really tried hard and, and watched it thinking you know how can I pick holes in this but I don't think I want to I don't I, and I don't think it's worth it because as because as a filmmaker you need you you want to produce something that well, there's no film that ticks every single box. Peter Jackson came into this thinking, right, this is what I want to create. Um, and he absolutely nailed it. He absolutely, in terms of the brief for this film, I think he got absolutely everything right. And for three million as well, which of course is, you know, a reasonably big budget. In, um, well, it was easily his, it was his biggest budget, but for three million, what he did. And also, um 92 so where are we bloody hell 20 30 years yeah so th Sorry, <laughs> that's <man>. crazy that's <laughs> crazy isn't it but for a film to still stand up um and like i said earlier for a film to this for this kind of film 30 years later you're laughing with and still not at that's an incredible achievement yeah yeah i mean what i picked i don't even agree with it now i i, I mentioned it <laughs> But at, I got called a snowflake at work today. And I yeah. thought, I've never heard that out of context of watching American news. And I've been called it today. Um, okay. But I just... Is that, is that related to the film? It will be now. So okay. at the very beginning, the opening scenes, uh, the New Zealander explorers, they've got this permit from New Zealand to take a monkey back uh, from Skull Island. And... I, I thought, well, this portrayal of Indigenous peoples isn't so easy, yeah. you know, you wouldn't do that now. No. And no. as I say, I get called a snowflake today and I'm like, do you know what? It's not even that. It's not all that bad, you know. It's not. No. It's not taking. It's not ideal. Out of them. It's not. It's, it's not, not ideal. But when you finish that scene with the local guide, hacking up all the infected bits of the guy that's got the scratches do you know i'm willing i'm willing to forgive and forget like with the 70s films i'm willing to forgive and forget it's of that time you know mm. when a woman gets treated in such a way i'm like do you know what i wouldn't be able to watch any bloody films at all from the 70s if yeah, i go down yeah. this path and i i think i don't know when the cutoff is but i'm allowing it to be 1993 <laughs> so well, i can smooth this one in just it just sneaks under the radar but saying that um i mean everybody likes a round number maybe 92 is the cutoff maybe 30 years is is the cutoff um i don't know what you've got coming up on 93 but <laughs> let's hope it's completely pc and woke <laughs> your snowflake yeah. um final question babe and i know what my answer is and it's probably going to be yours but let's let's see let's see what other movie are you going to put into this as a recommendation for a double bill? I'm only asking for one more. So this is also called Dead Alive, of course it is. So we've got Brain Dead, aka Dead Alive. I'm going to put that at the top. But as your warm-up film, what are you going to yeah. have? Well, I mentioned it earlier, Evil Dead 2. Spot on. 
yeah because <laughs> it's it's exactly the same exactly the same tone exactly the same wheelhouse and i just think back to back get a takeaway in you know a shade over three hours and you'll be treated to some incredible entertainment um i don't know i'm selling this double bill it's not going to happen but um <laughs> yeah evil dead 2 followed by brain dead bosh i mean sam raimi on his second film yeah yeah peter jackson on his second film you know they followed it up it's the same thing that they've done before but just more just yeah. better yeah man love it all right well ben thanks so much yeah number one brain dead doing this podcast as we said earlier i don't know if it'll make the cut or not but doing, doing this podcast i've seen a lot of shit um however this yeah this was an absolute pleasure paul so uh, yeah i'm very 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 pleased it's number one Peter DeCant's score is so over the top and lifetime drama in places, uh, which I would usually hate, by the way. But this keyboard-based cheesiness, it sounds so, so cheap, and yet it adds to the fun throughout the whole film. There are just loads of 80s synth score nods here from just so many cheap horror movies. But as I say, mix it with those drama elements uh, for instance, like when you are in Grandma's Kitchen, then this soundtrack just keeps delivering for me. I listened to this whole thing on YouTube, and I've got to admit, I know it pretty well. But when I watch it with the film, initially on my watches anyway, I just thought that it doesn't gel well. That's one thing that didn't really work. Having watched it a few times now, I was very wrong about that. I love it. Separated from the movie, maybe not so much, you close your eyes and it puts you instantly on that movie. It's so unique that it can belong to nothing else. I can't forget to mention the comedy sort of parts either. I would say that those moments are the least effective, but they don't put me off. When I listen to the track, which is called At The Zoo, for instance, the flip from jolly and wistful into a more trepidatious theme, it is surprisingly well executed. And also as a side note, he also did the score for two other Peter Jackson movies, Meet the Feebles and Heavenly Creatures. Plus, he's done this direct-to-DVD horror called Cubby House. He did that in 2001. And from the cover of Cubby House, it looks proper shit. Uh, but I'm excited to see it. It's now on my list. All in all, track it down. Give this one a spin. I love it. And where can you find Brain Dead? Well, at least to stream for free. Well, I tell you, you can't find it in the UK. It's not anywhere. But that's all right. What about the USA? No, you can't find it anywhere. If you want it, you're going to have to buy it as a physical copy on DVD or you're going to have to find it on Blu-ray. But just for now, anyway, it's currently up there for free on YouTube. As for podcasts, well, I'm going to head you over to the biggie in the UK, first of all, and that is Evolution of Horror. 19th of April 2019, they set Brain Dead uh, from 1992. They set Brain Dead along with Necromantic. 
very interesting pairing, I think you'll agree. And also as a secondary podcast, one that I haven't yet listened to, but is on my list to listen to, is this one. It's from Two Geeks Talk Movies, and it's from the 9th of Feb 2021, a bit more recent. And yeah, as I say, that one's in my list, haven't heard it yet, but I will do. And that is your number one, that is Brain Dead. I consider this to be the best horror film that came out in 1992. If you disagree, have at me. Okay, that was 1992. Let us choose, shall we, the year that we're going to be dealing with next month. I have my bag full of the years and I'm going to delve in. Give it a shuffle. Okay, here we go. 2003, House of a Thousand Corpses, I can't think of any more, House of a Thousand Corpses is all I can think of, thanks Rob Zombie, but hey, 2003, 11 years this episode senior, I like it, okay, yeah, that's going to be good, feel free to contact the podcast at yearinhorror at gmail.com with any films that you think I've missed here or simply you just want to have a go at me, do that there, A yearinhorror at gmail.com. But you can follow me at Weller on Letterboxd and Instagram or you can hit me up on Twitter. I, uh, my handle is at NotWellerPod. Also, if you find me on Letterboxd, I've listed all the years that we've tackled so far and attached all the films to their proper positions. Don't forget about Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash a year in horror. Any contribution that you make to a year in horror is going to be put back into making this regular, original, specialist content for you. But as well as that, that warm, fuzzy glow that you get for helping out a show that you love and you also get all that bonus content, it's a no-brainer, right? And before we go, I just want to say a great, smashy thanks to my wife, Claire Waller, who will be doing the Photoshop posters for each episode. But also she does the sci-fi corner jingle. She does the spooky jingle. One Trick Pony, they designed that Ace logo and the calendar design for the thumbnail. Max Newton and Lucy Foster, thank you so much for the A Year in Horror theme music. And the guests, I don't want to forget you. Lauren Jane Barnett, Benjamin Bowles, Paul Chanter, Stephen Hill, Cat Hughes, Nikki Jones, Kaya Palmer and Amber T. Thank you for taking part on this month's show and most of all, a massive and impressive thanks to you lot for listening to this. You've listened right to the very end now. I'm going to see you next month for a podcast that will feature all the best horror stuff that came out in 2003. Oh,